If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 25 down through verse 27, as we conclude our study of the book of Romans. God's word says this, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ according uh, to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for our study in uh, this great book of book of Romans, a letter to the Roman church. And God, we're, we're grateful that you have chosen to speak to us. And God, we ask that you would remind us of these lessons that we've looked at this last period of time. And, and even right now, Lord, that you would remind us and teach us from your word. Help us not to see it as just the words of men, uh, this man or Paul, uh, but rather that we would hear from you and that it would uh, change our lives. God, I pray for those who are struggling with belief here today. I pray with those, for those who are struggling with disobedience that they might know uh, what it is to follow after Christ, to know forgiveness, to be uh, that their guilt has been taken care of because of what Christ did on the cross. God, thank you for your word. We, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for uh, being with me on this journey through Romans that we've been on. I don't know how long it's been. It's been a while. Um, thankful for your gracious words of encouragement. Uh, I'm also grateful for what God has taught me and I hope has taught you as well as we look at the book of Romans. And I just want to encourage you, you know, the Bible's not a one and done type thing, right? Uh, we're done with the book of Romans. We've gone through it. We, you know, I, I've already done that. If somebody says you should read the book of Romans, you should say, yes, I should. Um, it's, uh, you know, this is the scripture. It's our need all the time. As we look at this section, this last section, it's a doxology concluding the book of Romans. And a doxology uh, is a word that is an expression of glory or praise. Many times it's a song, uh, a hymn that they would sing, or, and, and many times as a conclusion. And in this particular one, we learn uh, about God the Father and God the Son, and all that the Bible would have us learn about God uh, at the end of this book, kind of uh, um, bringing forth some of the great themes of this book uh, that he has already spoken of. And, and really, as he speaks of these things, he's talking about God. Uh, I, I want to encourage you, as you think about what, how it is to read the Bible, sometimes it's hard to think about how you're supposed to read the Bible. Uh, if you look at a novel, uh, you, you say, "Here, here's a novel or a book on history. You, you read a book on history and, and you, in your mind, you're reading it because it's that kind of a book. But I, I want to tell you that the Bible, the Bible has one hero 
And he reveals himself to us. And so as we look at the scripture, it's important for us to understand, uh, to ask the question, what do we learn about our God? What is he trying to say to us? How is he trying to share with us about himself? And then as a secondary issue about ourselves, what, what we're supposed to learn for ourselves. And so that's where we're going to kind of begin this morning. Verse 25 Now to him, now to him. It's interesting uh, that he says to him, and you you, you look for God to say, uh, Paul to say, God the Father, but he doesn't say it. And what he says, let me connect this to you. Now to him, he's going to have a long sentence, long sentence. And I always think it's funny. uh, Some of you are, are grammar people. Grammar people, I say grammar people because I didn't think it was appropriate to say grammar Nazis in church. <laughs> some, of you, uh, some of you are literature people and you love writing and you, you love the structure and you have very uh, like convictions and like rules in your own mind and heart of what writing should be like. And sometimes you get to the scriptures and you say, oh, that's a run-on sentence. <laughs> Or, you know, that comma shouldn't, and I just want to tell you, it's translated. But if you would read this in the Greek, it would be this long sentence. And, you know, as you say, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I know you wouldn't have. But God inspired a man to write it this way. And it wasn't uh, like desiring to follow this rule of grammar. Anyways, it's a long sentence we're going to look at. And I want to put some things together for you at the outset to just give you kind of the title is to God be the glory. He says, now to him, and then he's going to go on to describe a bunch of things. But in verse uh, 27, it kind of picks up now to him. Uh, He says, to the only wise God. And so you can say, now to him who is God, be glory. To God be glory. And as you think about this, at the end of the book of Romans, and what is the book of Romans? Well, the book of Romans is a a longer letter. It's a, a letter of teaching, the important teachings of the gospel over and over again. It's the important teaching of mankind, uh, the mess that we're in apart from Jesus, and the, the difficult situation we're in that we cannot get out of. And, and so at the end of this book, you, you wonder, uh, like, how is this all going to come together and how it's all going to come together is the God who had a plan to love sinful mankind that they might be right with him, to that God be glory, be glory. And so we're going to uh, talk about that. And, and, and if you put those verse 25 and verse 27, those little parts together, and just hear it as to God be the glory. The, the word glory is like accolades or to praise him. And, and you might think in your mind... Um, if somebody told you, uh, they pointed out someone and said, you see that guy over there? You should praise him. He should be the number one. He, he should be the one that, that you admire over all else. And you didn't know who they were, 
there's a question that would come up in your mind and heart immediately. For what? Why should I praise him? What's so great about him? Who is he? And that's kind of what Paul is going to end up here in this doxology. To God be the glory. To praise him for what? I'm going to show you. He starts out in verse 25 saying that this God, this, the, the him, is the God who is able. He is able. And, and if you think about, think back to what you've learned in the book of Romans, that's a contrast to the God who is able to do something to mankind who is stuck and can't do anything about it. That, that one of the great lessons of the book of Romans is that life is not a DIY sort of thing. We can't do it ourselves. And when you look at God and his plan, you realize that he is the God who is able. He is the God who is able. And, and not just able to do everything. More specifically, it's that God is able to change sinful men and women and make them part of his holy church, establishing them forever. Um, and so he starts out in this doxology to say who is able. He is infinitely, a infinitely able. It's not that he has a, a limit. It's interesting, and I think that most of us can feel this way, um, how many of you have some great ideas? Great ideas. You know, uh, we, we even like to maybe scribble some notes or make a diagram, you know. And if I had the time or the money or the know-how or the energy, I would do it. I would do it. But if we'd be honest, we would look at these great ideas that we sometimes have. We'd just say, if, if we could see it for what it is, I'm just not able to do that. I'm just not able to pull it off. I have some great ideas, but I can't accomplish. It might even be like noble things that, that you look upon the world's problems and you look at uh, people and you say, man, I... You know, I think of homelessness, I think of pornography, I think of, you know, drug abuse and trafficking. And, and, and I look about these things and I go, man, they're just terrible things and my heart breaks. But I can't. But I have no resources, I have no uh, abilities, I have uh, limitations in many ways. But it says of our God in verse 25, uh, 25 Chapter 16, now to him who is able, able to strengthen you according to my gospel. He says strengthen uh, because uh, he, he's gone about the whole book of Romans and talking about the weakness of mankind. The weakness both of um, just the sins that, that we fall into and we can't do anything about, but also our best efforts our best efforts, our, our, our self-righteousness, the things that we think we can do. And in both those things, we come up short. And, and he, he says to this church, to these individuals in this church, 
How can, how can you be established? How can you be fit and ready to be the church in the greatest city in the world, being pushed and squeezed from all directions? He says, not to him. And to the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture, the God of creation, the God who uh, was over the Romans, the God who is over the United States of America. He's the one that's able to establish them as the church that you cannot do for yourself. And I want to just say this again. I, I think I already said it, but he's not naming him this God. He's describing him. He's describing him. And as you think about your God, the God of the Bible, the God of creation, the, 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 God, the God who had the plan of salvation, you look at him and he's the God who is able I think some, often we think of ourselves as um, exceptional, exceptional. And it's funny, uh, sometimes we think we're exceptional in our sin, in our sin. And we say this thing like, oh, I don't believe God can save me. You don't know what I've done. And I want to tell you, he's described as the God who is able God is able to take your mess of a life, the things that you have done, and establish you as a holy church, a holy individual, part of his holy church, the bride of Christ. The God who is able. And you, you might say this, you know, the, the, the second question, you know, tell me about God. What is he worthy to be praised for? He's the God who is able. And, and you go, how? How, how is he able? How can this happen? How can this be? You know, the mess I'm in, I don't see a way out. He says that God who is able to strengthen you according, according to my gospel. According to my gospel. And if the answer for the how is by the gospel. The gospel being the good news. That's what that word means, good news. And uh, Paul says something interesting. I, I don't know if you... It, registered in your mind he says my gospel and, and and I always think this when when people I always think of little kids you know why do they learn that so quick mine mine right uh me mine you know why do, why do they they feel that and and, and sometimes you know that, that's just part of human nature as we see it it's true for all of us doesn't matter how old you get there is a sense of mine right it's mine and and so you might read this and you might think that Paul's saying well i have my gospel and other people have their gospel and that's not what Paul's saying He's not saying that, you, you know, everyone gets their own gospel. Everyone needs to write their own story. Everyone needs to decide the rules to the game that they're playing. He's not saying that everyone gets to decide for themselves. I want to tell you that that's very important for you to hear this morning. If you haven't heard it yet, there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. One gospel, okay? Only one. And as Paul says, my gospel, he's not just talking about uh, that he has one and that somebody else has another and somebody else has another and somebody else has another. What he's saying is this. This is the gospel that I've accepted. This is the gospel that I believe. 
this is the gospel that I preach. This is the gospel that I live by. My gospel. And so in a similar way, we could ask the question of ourselves, what is my gospel? What is my good news? And it reminds me, I'm not going to turn there, but we we might be studying the book of Galatians. That's kind of where in my mind I'm heading. I think I'm going to mess around uh, talking about Psalms and Proverbs maybe for a couple more weeks and then make a final decision. But, But I think of the book of Galatians where one of the big messages of the book of Galatians is there's just one gospel. And don't abandon it. There's one gospel. And, and I want to tell you this. I want to reiterate this. I want you to hear from Paul where he says, this is my gospel. And, and the, the picture here is this. There's one gospel. And Paul says, it's not just one gospel that's out there. It's one gospel that's my gospel. And I want to tell you this morning that uh, you, you may have been with us on the study of the book of Romans. If any of you were here for every one of those messages, I want to give you a patch later after the service, okay? You can wear it proudly every week if you want. Um, but if you've been with us in the study of the book of Romans, I hope that you have gotten the, the idea that there is one gospel. And it's not just a gospel that you know what it says, but that you've trusted in it giving your life to it. That's what Paul had done, and that's what he was calling the church at Rome to do as well. That they would uh, make it their own, that they would grab hold of it in such a way uh, that they would refer to it as their gospel. And what is the gospel? I'm guilty. I'm guilty before a holy God. Guilty. I'm guilty, I've sinned. It's not how many I've sinned, many times I've sinned, it's just that I'm a sinner. And it has been multiple times. In fact, it's been thousands of times. I don't know how, you know, how, how they're categorized and tallied. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's more than thousands. But that we are guilty before a holy God. And that as described in the book of Romans, that we need to be righteous, but we are not. And there's no way to do it by ourselves. There's no DIY, right? And so we learn this word justification. And the word justification means that we were made right. And I want to like hit this one more time and try to be somewhat detailed on this. That it is his righteousness in our place, right? It's what Christ did on the cross, his righteousness in exchange for our our sinfulness. And I want to say this too. It's not a process. It's not a process. Justification is an act, okay? I I hear some people talk about uh, faith and they say that they kind of stumble over it and they say, well, Have you trusted in Christ? Are you justified? Are you right with him? And they say, yeah, I think so. I think so. I just got a little bit more to work on. I just got a little bit more to work on. I want to tell you, justification is a point in time complete. Because the work of Jesus is complete on the cross. Justification. His righteousness for our sinfulness. 
an act and a work of God. It's not a process. It is finished because of Jesus. Paul, Paul says this. He says, uh, it's my gospel. It's my gospel. And, and he does talk about preaching Jesus. And, and it caused me to think right now, even as I, I think about my role as a, a man and a, a husband and a, and a father and a grandfather, and I want to ask the question for you, what is the key to life for you? What is your message? What is your good news? And as you understand what your good news is, Paul did, then you'll share it. Then you'll share it. You'll proclaim it. And it makes me concerned as I think about my role as a husband. It makes me concerned as I think of my role as a father and a grandfather now. What is my message? What will be the key to a happy life for you? What what will you share in wisdom with your, your offspring or people that you know? You know what you really need to do? Let's get a good education. That's, that's the key to life. You need to be educated. You know what you really need to do? You need to get married. You need to get married. That, that will be the key to life for you. You, you, know, you know what you really need to do? You need to get a good, high-paying job with a 401k or I think it's a 403b if you're in a nonprofit. So you can invest that money in the godless stock market and support corporate America and the Black Rocks and the. No, anyways, uh, you need money. You need money because uh, if, if you don't have money, then like life will be terrible for you. It's the key to life. It's the key to life. Actually, it's not just money. You need a good work ethic. Because if you know how to work hard all day long and be tireless in your work, that will be the key to you having a great life. It's the gospel of work ethic. Maybe there's other things that you think of. It's the gospel of health. You need to exercise. You need to take a bunch of pills. I'll stop there. Uh, with the pills. I want to say more. I really want to say more. Uh, maybe it's organics for you. You know, I, you just got to eat that clean food, right? Maybe it's vaccinations. You need to take all your vaccinations so you don't die. Or maybe you're on the other side that says you don't need to take any vaccinations so you won't die. And it draws me back to what is your message? What is your message? What is your gospel? What is the thing that you cling to? And what is the thing that you preach? And I'm not encouraging, I'm not encouraging you, please don't, to preach to your kids and grandkids. Like, like this and like set them down and you stand and they're down and you're going like this. I don't encourage you, but, but I, I want you to know that you have a voice and you should use it in the life of your kids and grandkids, your neighbors, whoever else you have 
influence with. You encourage them. You listen to them. You encourage them. And, but they might know, what is their message? What is grandma's message? What is grandpa's message? What's the thing that they want for me most? And, and not, not in a sense of living out your dreams in them, but like that, that they know that you love them. And so you want what's best for them. And the thing that you think is best for them is Jesus. That they would have their sins forgiven. This is why Paul referred to this as his message. It's interesting, he, uh, as he talks about this, he, he says, according to my gospel and the, the preaching of Jesus Christ, and, and he realizes and he knows it, it's, it's the importance of the message. It's why it's important is that it's not a temporary message, not made up on the road. As he looks at this, he, he uses a bunch of words, revelation, mystery, hidden, long ages past, revealed, made known. And, and what he's talking about is this, that we're, we're fascinated by that which is new, aren't we? Hey, there's a, a, a new restaurant in town. There's a new phone that you can buy. There, there's a new computer. There's a new technology. There's a new car. You know, it, it runs on squirrels or something like that. You know, there's, you're, we're, we're, we're fascinated. We're fascinated with that which is new. And what does Paul say about this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ? He says, he he connects it, it's revelation. It was a mystery. It was hidden. It, It was hidden long ages past. But now it's revealed and made known. And as you look at the Old Testament, you look at the 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 prophets as they spoke before, you look at the plan of God, you can walk through the work of God over and over again, showing the plan of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the earliest of times in the book of Genesis throughout time and history. God lets us have a little glimpse that he's got a savior coming and it's gonna be a savior for his people, the Jews. And there's something fascinating, even in the book of Romans that he says, it's not just for the Jews, but it's for the nations, for all people, the Gentiles. And so as we look at this, we realize that this is an eternal message. It wasn't, you know, so, um, and I know this is the way we do things. We, we do this, and, and I'm not trying to call anybody out or, but you know how you have a plan? You have a plan. You have your list of things to do, or maybe you have a plan of a project and you say, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. I, I, I've spoken to some of you, those of you who are older, and, and you tell me about your occupation, and I always want to know, how did you get there? How did you get into that? And you know how most of you have gotten into your occupation? Through a zigzag up the hill of events that you didn't have any clue about, right? You bumped into this person, and you tried this job. You failed miserably, or didn't pay much. And then there was another job, and then there was another job, and then there. And then finally, you landed in something that you couldn't have picked or chosen. And God provided for all your needs, and now you're retired from that. And you go, "How'd that happen?" And, and those of us who like to think of it this way, we tell people, well, "I love it when a plan comes together." Right? 
Love it. It was my plan. But really, it was a lot of bumbling along, and God provided, and, and God was good and kind and merciful to us. And, but, that, but that's not how God works. That's not how his plan works. His plan prevails. His plan was from the beginning. His plan was marked out throughout the Old Testament and was confusing to his people. It was hidden, if you will. Not all the way hidden. It got glimpses of it. And then as Jesus came in the New Testament, he was revealed. He was manifested. And even more so, as we look at the establishing in the churches, in the churches, even the book of Romans, what is that? It's Paul spelling it out. That they might know, that they might know, they might know what? The gospel. It's the Old Testament teachings now being amplified and revealed and shown in the New Testament. And what is it? It's Jesus and his work in the writing of the apostles. And why? Why? What, What is this plan that is coming and what, how do the Romans fit into it? If you look at this, uh, he, he says in verse 26, he says, uh, but, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to what? To all nations, all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring, uh, bring about obedience of faith. As you look at this, when you hear all the nations, it was a new message that you see in the New Testament that you really didn't see. You, you saw it veiled in the Old Testament that, that God loved everybody, that there was a place for the nations. But now in the New Testament, and it was really a message that he belabored in the book of Romans. He talked about it over and over again, is that God cares about the Gentiles. He cares about the Gentiles. He wants to draw them to himself and place them in the church. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news for us. If God was only for his people, the Jews, and we were on the outside, uh, it was terrible, terrible for us. There's no hope. But, but I want you to get this. Uh, all this was driving for this purpose that he would show that Jesus was for all the nations and, and this was part of the eternal plan of God, the eternal God who had this command. But at the end of verse 26, it says, to bring about obedience of faith. I want to point something out. The Jews, uh, did they obey the law? Yes, they did. Or at least they tried to. And they kind of majored on the ones that they were doing well in and like to... Forget about the ones they weren't doing well at. We do the same thing, right? right? We're like, you know, we, we struggle with some areas so we don't talk about them and then we talk about other areas that we feel like we're okay on. Anyways, but the Jews did. Tell me about the Gentiles. How did they live? How did, and the Gentiles or the nations, the nations outside, is that they really have, they had no God. How, how do people who have no God live? Well, how do kids who have no parents live? Like wolves. 
right? Uh, you, you know, like they, they just do whatever they want, right? They do whatever they want. Or, or they do what, not just what they want, what they think is right. They think is right. And how does that usually work out? How does that usually work out? Not well. Not well, right? Because if we're driven by whatever we think, and I want to tell you, this is not just in the heart of the Gentiles. This is in the heart of the Jews too. They just had a structure of those Ten Commandments. They, they knew some stuff about God and it, it kind of hemmed them in. It, it gave them a sense of what sin was like. But the Gentiles didn't have any, you know, any thoughts about that. And so they lived however they wanted to. And if they obeyed anyone, it was just their own flesh that they obeyed. That, that's all they did. And I want to tell you that God's design in the gospel is this, that the gospel would come and bring sinful people to himself, sinful people to himself, that now their faith and trust in him would be borne out in obedience to him and following after him. The word is repentance. The word is repentance. That they would not, those Gentiles would not just come to the gospel for salvation, but that they would come to the gospel for a change of life that would bring about obedience. And I want to say this just real briefly here today. Um, As you think about your life, if you say you trust in the gospel, yet it does not affect the way you live, you have not understood the gospel. It's not that you're perfect, but that if it doesn't affect, it doesn't affect the way you talk, if it doesn't affect what you value, if it doesn't affect the way you parent, if it doesn't affect the the way you love your wife or your husband, if if it doesn't affect the decisions that you make, I I, want to encourage you to really think through what is the gospel? And can you say as Paul, it's my gospel. It's changed my life. It now becomes the message that I share. This plan that God is to be praised for is to draw all the nations, all the nations to Jesus, to him alone as the answer that they might come to saving faith that it might transform their life and they be obedient to him. We come to verse 27, that last verse, and he says, to the only wise God. To the only wise God. And as you look at this, you can connect the only wise God as being the only wise God who had a plan of the gospel for salvation. As you look at the, the scriptures from beginning to end and you see the difficulty of mankind and the struggles that mankind has and the world has and every nation, every time, every place, today and the days ahead, you see tr- trouble and you say, what is the answer? Can there be an answer? I don't know an answer. Uh, God says this, I have a plan and this plan describes my wisdom as God the only God who is able. It's interesting that um, that verse 27 says, the only wise God, 
and you can really imply in verse 25, he starts off with the God who is the only one who is able. The only God who is able is the only God who is a wise God. Um, Jim Boyd, would you uh, pull up Psalm 62, verse 5? Brandon shared this with us earlier, and I couldn't help but see this. And Brandon didn't share it because I tell the guys to just stick to one point. It's not a double sermon, okay? Um, But I want to point something out that it's the same God. And and what I want to tell you about the, the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible, and I don't know that this is a real word that anyone uses other than me, uh, but as you study about God, you will see the aloneliness of God, the aloneliness. And, and what, what I mean by that is this, that there are other gods. There are really no gods at all, but there are other things and people that that people follow after and they hope in and they, they, they look to. But in, in Psalm 62, what does it say? Verse five, it says, for God alone, for God alone. And as I read that and as I hear that, what he's saying is this, as, as I look about my life and the difficulties of my life and the struggles that I have, it's God alone that I'm waiting for. Because he's the only one. He, he's, he's alone as the one that will be able to. He says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only, verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be uh, shaken. Uh, on God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. And it goes on. It goes on. And there are other bunch of other places, bunch of other places. And as we look at this scripture at the end of the book of Romans, he, he says of his gospel, that his gospel that he preaches, that it comes from the God who alone, he alone is worthy of praise of glory. He alone is the wise God, the only wise God who has a plan and the plan is the gospel. And so, what does that mean? He deserves glory. He deserves glory. He deserves praise. He deserves our attention, the attention of our life. He, he deserves our, our days, our nights, our affections. He deserves the glory. He deserves the glory. And, and I want to just say this. There's this thing when you see glory, and glory is kind of a hard word. Um, glory means all that I've shared, but this idea of praiseworthy. He deserves our worship. And, and because of what I've read here, because of what I've shared, God deserves glory. But, but this is what I want to ask you personally. Because of what God has done for you, does he get glory? Does he get glory? And, and what I mean by that, in your life and the things that you're doing, the way you spend your time, the way you spend money, the way you spend your affections, does he get glory from your life? 
Not because you feel obligated in a sense of like, ah, it's on my to-do list. Get glory. Give glory. But that because of what he's done in you, he's transformed you in such a way that that you, you love to give him glory, give him credit for what he has done. And this is a packed passage of many words layering upon the goodness of God. How long? How long does he deserve glory? Forevermore. Forevermore. What's interesting about that is that your life isn't long enough to give him glory. Your life is not long enough. You think about lifelong projects and, you know, some of us are going to, all of us are going to pass away. And you know what's going to happen as we pass away? Our kids are going to look at our unfinished projects. The things that we wish we had time to complete. And, and, and it's okay because that shows our humanity, right? And, and one of the things that we will have to finish in heaven is that we would give glory to God. Why? Because of the greatness of his glory It's more than our lifetime, forevermore. And he connects this. He says, this forevermore praiseworthy God the the Father. Why? What, What is it through? It's through Jesus Christ, through what he did. That one act that he did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, because of what he has done, that is the reason the Father is to be praised forevermore. Why? Because it was the Father's plan worked out in the Son. This is the book of Romans. And he adds on the end of this, he says, Amen. Amen is uh, at the root of what that is. And in Hebrew, it's the idea of that it's firm. It's, it's stood firm. It's, it is uh, affirmed in a way that is solid and true. And it's for us to respond as the Greek came to be this idea of so be it. It's true. It's faithful. I agree. I'm in. Amen. God, thank you for our time as we've been able to study this great book. And God, I do ask that you would cause us to cling to the gospel, that we would never have another message, that we would not uh, share uh, with anything anything else, that we would have the affection that we have for the gospel. I I pray that it would be our gospel, as Paul said, that it was my gospel. It was the gospel that he trusted in, but it was also the gospel that he shared. God, may this church be established and remain and, and be faithful to the one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.